I was just uh, reflecting as I was walking down from the, the room and the on the first floor that sometimes one enters into a situation or an activity or a course of action without being entirely sure if one has made the right choice, if one has made the correct call in terms of what one should choose to engage with here. And I was particularly reflecting upon that question um, as I hadn't been feeling that well a little earlier and sort of wondering, should I be doing this right now? It was an interesting reflection for me. I kind of wonder if any of you have had a reflection rather like that today. Like, hmm, was this a good idea? (laughs) Hmm, it looked like a good idea. And yet sometimes when we're looking from a distance, like at what we think is going to be a good idea, we can't really tell. We don't really know until we place ourselves in that situation and look from within the situation. And so for myself, there was the sense of, well, there's only one way to find out. And the uh, possibility is that my voice will dry up or my uh, energy level will fade away and uh, it would be one of those things one might look back on as an achievement to manage to uh, sort of fall asleep at the front during a Dharma talk. I've done it on many occasions on a cushion as probably uh, some of you will be familiar with having done. But I had a sense as I was reflecting on this that actually I really... I wanted to come and connect with you as a group. And uh, having been very kindly sort of given leave of absence for the sittings of the afternoon and evening till this point by Heather and uh, Rodney, I had a sense I wanted to come and be here in this room. And uh, if not much more than that happened, I thought, well, that'll be okay. I'm not required to provide you entertainment. Although, of course, it would be disappointing if there wasn't any at this hour. But it's interesting how we come into a situation like this, I think. And a useful cause for reflection. To look at why we come into a situation. For myself, looking at, am I doing it because I think I should? Because I have to, because it's my job, or because I said I would? Or is there something else that brings me here? And likewise for yourself, and having brought yourself here to this room at this time. Was it just because it was on the schedule and you thought, well, nothing else on tally, you know, Um, might as well go along? Or do we come with a sense of interest, the sense of, Exploration. Because each moment really offers us that opportunity. We can turn up somehow habitually because we should, because we signed up for it, because someone told us it would be a good idea, whether it be someone at the front or some other point. We can turn up in that kind of, because I'm supposed to, sort of way. Or we can turn up coming from a completely different place. coming from a place that perhaps allows us to engage with the situation from a fresh, from an open, from an interested point of view or perspective. And I think for me what engages that question or what engages that other way of of entering a situation, entering a circumstance making the best choice we can in the circumstance, not knowing if it will be right. And if tomorrow I'm really ill and I think, I really shouldn't have done that. Or if I didn't and tomorrow I felt fine, I thought, oh, I I really should have. You can't get out of that. It's unavoidable. There's no way to know what would happen if you made a different choice than the one you made. There's no way to know that. But what you can do is be really wholehearted in the choice that you have made, and keep paying attention to see what, what's to be learned here.
When we approach a situation from that perspective, there are no wrong choices. There are actually no mistakes. There might be some process of learning that aren't comfortable, but there are no real mistakes, I would say. Just places where we haven't yet learned something in which we get the opportunity to do so. And it puts me in mind of a uh, story of a, a very keen and committed Zen student who had an opportunity to speak to a great master in his tradition and lineage. And he had to come with a question. And so he came to the, to the Zen master and he said, what is the most important thing? The Zen master said, good judgment. And the student said, good judgment, good judgment. Yeah, it makes sense. Sounds good, sounds good. How do you get good judgment? He said, experience. Experience, yeah, it makes sense. You get good judgment, yeah. How do you get experience, he said. Bad judgment. (laughs) And there's really no way out of that. So some of what we get to do is they have the opportunity for experience here. And yet to do so in a context in which we're interested in it and seeing what we learn from this circumstance that we, at one level we could say we've placed ourselves in it. You know, we signed up for the retreat or signed up to come along and co-lead the retreat or whatever it is or to serve the retreat, whatever way it is that we came to be here. At some level, we could feel like, yeah, we signed up for that. But at another level, we just kind of turned up, didn't we? We were here. I mean, born, alive, in this body, with this mind. We might not have signed up for that. Or at least, I don't know about you, but I don't remember signing up for that. (laughs) And so there's a certain mixture of those two aspects of what it means to be here. There's a certain way in which we've said, Oh, well, this is what I'll choose to engage with. But the fact that we're here at all is just, wow. It's easy to take that for granted, to just assume that that's the normal state of affairs. But of course, as you know, it's only the normal state of affairs for a certain amount of time. It's not permanent that you are here or I am here. And certainly times when we feel a little bit less than 100% in terms of little sort of ill in some way or form, we get a certain feeling for what that really means to be here for just a little while. And we see that this body, it's subject to difficult conditions and one day will come to an end. And so what do we do with this opportunity? This is really the question, I think, for one's life certainly for one's retreat or this moment. It's like, what really matters? What's really important? Because it's all too easy, I think, to allow our life to be carried away, sucked away by the momentum and the relentless pressure to achieve, to attain, to become someone or to get something. And that's a relentless pressure that we face, most of us, probably all of us, in that regard. It's something that we find ourselves turning up on the retreat and there can be this attitude of, of looking, you know, how, how well am I performing here? Measuring that, assessing, have I done well? Or looking, what have I got out of this? And already we've been here maybe a day 24 hours and we're already wondering, well, I haven't got much out of this. Well, I thought it would be a bit more than that or I'd be doing better than I am now. We see how this tendency to, to attain, to achieve, it seems to be locked into a sense of dissatisfaction. And premised upon an assumption that what's most important is not what's here, but something else that is not here. 
So what is the most important thing in your life? What is the most important thing to you right now? There may be many responses that come. You may have certain familiar thoughts or recollections, maybe things that warm or touch your heart come to mind. Maybe a sense of blankness or confusion. It's okay if there's no particular answer to that question or any particular response even. But there's something about the immediacy of asking that kind of question that brings us back, that re-engages our, our natural, heartfelt care and interest. And perhaps we could see that for all the interesting, valuable, important and profound activities and experiences and relationships that we may have experienced in the past or we may experience in the future, that they're not actually here with us right now. The memory of them might be or the anticipation of them might be. But actually what we have is just this. This here. This now. This here and nowness. And this is actually what's most important. Not because it's more important than something else. That's to relate to it from the comparing mind. It's not more important than something else. There isn't something else. There's just this. But so easily we forget that. And we come to imagine that in fact there's something else. And we can live our life relating to or engaging with this precious experience of being alive this moment without recognizing that this is all we have and almost somehow tragically missing the opportunity it offers to us to receive this preciousness. Beautiful poem by Wu Men. He says, he writes, Ten thousand flowers in spring. You can tell my mind's not quite what it was, or at least I can. It's really interesting how many times I know the poem and I can see it sitting in front of my mind. And somehow it's not quite there. It's really interesting. I've probably recited that poem out loud several dozen times. uh, 10,000 flowers in spring. The moon in autumn. A cool breeze in summer. Snow in winter. When your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. When your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. And yet, It's so easy to miss that, isn't it? It's so easy to somehow not quite see that almost too obvious truth and to live our lives disconnected, live our lives rushing, pushing, straining, struggling, not actually in touch, not actually connected not allowing ourselves to feel the very depth of life. And it's like, uh, as uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, a great teacher from Thailand, who lived in the 20th century, died in the early 1990s. He... uh, He was once asked, how would you describe the world? His response in 
many ways one could imagine how to describe the world. He said, lost in thought. Lost in thought. Not just thinking, but lost in thought. And we can see, it doesn't take very long, does it? Sitting, being present, or seeking to be present, conscious, connected. How the tendency of the mind is to somehow not just engage in thinking, but to lose itself in that thought. To stop or to lose contact with the sense of I'm here, or life is now, or this is it. And somehow believe that the story of the thought is what's true and real. When obviously we know if we were to be asked, oh no, it's just a bubble of thoughts. That's not what's happening. Thinking is happening, but the story of the thought, we get lost in. And when we see that, what tends to happen is, in the context certainly of most uh, meditators, is we start to struggle with that. We start to think, why is my mind doing that? Why won't it stop? How annoying my mind is thinking. Shut up. And tragically and ironically, it's the very reaction against the thought that becomes the noise, that becomes the struggle, that continues the very same misapprehension of feeling somehow that the way things are is not okay or as it should be. And that fixing or resolving that unokayness is our task, is the, the basis for finding meaning or happiness. Dharma teachings point to the understanding that this is not so, that the content of experience is not the most important thing. What's happening is not the most important thing. But much more, how are we meeting it? How are we engaging with it? What are we bringing to this moment? Rather than looking at it from the point of view of, well, what am I getting from it? What am I bringing to this world? Rather than thinking, what am I getting from it? The effect of being lost in the mind is to be lost in the realm of that which doesn't actually exist. Lost in the realm of past and future. The past is gone. It, it's not to be found. A friend of mine, uh, Charles Genoux, a, uh, a Swiss um, national from Geneva, he teaches a practice called gesture of awareness. And it's a little bit like walking meditation, but he gives instructions within it. And one is moving and exploring one's experience, just as we're doing here. And one of the instructions he sometimes gives when we're just walking around, he'd say, can you take a step in the past? Try and do it now. And you see, it's obvious you can't do it. It's not there. Or can you take a step in the future? Try and do it. See, simple experiment. You might like to experiment with this in your own walking meditation. What would it be to try and take a step in the past or in the future? Clearly, that would be a meaningless undertaking. It's impossible. And yet somehow... We imbue past and future with a substantiality and a solidity that isn't really there if you really look, if you turn directly towards. And why we do this is something that needs to be understood because it's not a random event that we get lost in our minds. It's not something happening sort of without any lawfulness or even you could say intelligence. Sometimes one wonders if there's intelligence in it. You see what the mind gets up to. Kind of embarrassing. But there is an intelligence because most of what's driving us, what's driving the mind, which we need to see and understand, 
is that in the sense of wanting things to be in a certain way, either different than as they are or somehow continuing as they are, in the, in the process of relating to our life from what can I get out of it, relating to experience, what's in this for me, what tends to happen is we're looking into the past to see how other things that were lovely, delightful, uplifting or sweet for us in the past, how did I make them happen in order that I can make them happen again in the future? Or if they're happening right now, in order that I can sustain them. Sort of thinking about what happened, and if it's something that was pleasurable, in order that I can make it continue. Or if it was something that was difficult that happened in the past, we're trying to figure out how on earth did I let that happen and how can I make sure it doesn't happen again. And so we bounce from trying to figure out what happened in the past to the future to somehow try and ensure that it unfolds the way we want it to. And the effect of that is being out of touch, being disconnected. of having no sense of abiding in our life, but experiencing it more as a... It's almost like this unconscious and unquestioned pull that, that says to us that there's something missing, there's something lost, there's something that's not right, there's something that's really wrong with me or with this situation. I mean, it's so common. People on meditation retreat start practicing and sometimes, you know, we're told, so be present, pay attention to your breath, be in your body. And we really make quite an effort at the front to say, so whenever your mind goes away, come back. Because we know your mind's going to go away and you're going to have to come back and you're going to have to do it a lot. And we know because our mind does that. My mind does that too. Despite all these years of having practice in this way. And yet so easily we take on from that instruction the sense of, so my mind shouldn't wander off. It should be here. It should be calm. It should be peaceful. And that somehow the fact that it's agitated or it's confused or it's simply busy is wrong or bad or evidence of my failure and I'm hopeless and I can't meditate and I might as well give up and go home. Or... Evidence that, in fact, the meditation practice is hopeless and the teachings are useless and the guys up the front don't have a clue what they're talking about. And they might as well go home. And we, we kind of get into these positions with our experience where we have an expectation for how it should be. And life never measures up to expectations. It's just not possible. Because the moment it does we move the expectation somewhere ahead of it. It's unstoppable. If we live in that way, if we're measuring our life, the moment it fits the measurement, we think, how much more can I get of that? Or how much longer can I keep it that way? If we feel calm or peaceful, sometimes that occurs in meditation. It's almost like you know, a shock. Oh, my mind's actually calm now. Then almost instantly for many of us it will be, Great, got it. How do I keep it? What did I do in order for this to happen? And of course, at that point, we realize that our mind is no longer calm. And then we start feeling dejected and miserable, frustrated. I got it, now I've lost it, messed it up. And we get into another whole story, struggling with what's going on. So it's not a little bit it's not surprising that we might find ourselves sometimes tired, sometimes weary. And needing to allow ourselves we, need, you, you, we all need to let ourselves really feel that momentum by stopping at least outside. We put our body in one place and even if my mind says, Get up, go make a cup of tea or do something, we just sit here. And when we sit here, what we feel is the friction. We feel the rub of that momentum. We feel it pulling at us, and it's keenly painful sometimes. But we feel it. And this is important. Because once we start to feel it, 
we can also start to see it. When we're following it, when we're enacting it, when we're allowing it to drive our life, it's still rubbing, but we're not feeling it. We're reacting to it. And that reaction in the vain attempt to resolve it simply amplifies it. So can we just sit with our experience? Can we be simple with it? Let it be what it is. This is such a simple instruction. And yet make no mistake, it is one of the hardest things any of us will ever undertake in our life. And we don't do this just to experience the rub because somehow that's going to be good for me. You know, if it rubs enough, if it hurts enough, it's frustrating enough, then somehow I'll be made better and purified and uh, balance off all my foolish actions of the past by suffering for a while on a cushion. It's because through feeling what's here, another possibility starts to open up. When I was young, one of my neighbours, who we used to visit quite often, who lived, lived a couple of miles away, but I grew up in the countryside of New Zealand and a couple of miles away was my next neighbour. And uh, I remember this kind of probably, I don't know if you know the word twee, you know, it's almost sweet but too sweet, sort of little picture that she had on her wall. Um, and it had a picture of a, a young girl in a bonnet with a bow and a basket and it said something like, don't worry, don't hurry, and don't forget to sniff the flowers. And yeah, it's almost a little bit too sweet, isn't it? I know maybe you're better with that sort of thing here in, in, uh, in America. At least this is the view one maybe has from overseas. Um, but, uh, you, can, you, can, you can do that sort of uh, overripe sort of version of uh, expression, but maybe not. But um, I hope I'm not digging myself into a hole here. So whatever it is, whatever your response to that particular thing, in some ways it's kind of simple and trite, and yeah, so what? And in another way, to me, there's something useful in seeing that that kind of wisdom, and I, I say there's profound wisdom in that, isn't something that just comes out of Eastern sort of mystical traditions that involve sort of esoteric practices while sitting cross-legged and following one's breath, but just that don't worry, don't hurry, don't forget to sniff the flowers. And in some way, what we're asking ourselves to do here is just that. Don't worry. It's like, what do we worry about? We don't worry about now, because it's already here and it's the way it is. And if it's not perfect, well, not much to be done. We worry about the future, because it's not here. We don't know what it's going to be like, and probably there's going to be challenges in it. Because that's part of life. And so... To say don't worry is to say, well, live now. Because to live in the future is to live in worry. There's no way around it. The future is unknown and unpredictable. And what does our mind do with that? Worry. In an attempt to create something it can relate to, when there actually isn't anything substantial there. It's not to say there isn't a place for planning or attending to things. None of us would have made it to this retreat or arrived in this hall without some ability to think forward in that way but to not worry just to say okay I'll take care of what's here and now to not hurry gosh it's like trying to get more and more or to cram more and more in to get more things to have more experiences how many have we already had in our lives how many thoughts how many meals how many different things have we already packed into our mostly frenetic existence. And is another one or two more going to be any different in the end, really? I suggest probably not. Don't forget to sniff the flowers. 
It's like when we're worrying and when we're hurrying. We can't receive the sweetness, the nectar, the perfume, the beauty that is around us, that is within and throughout all things. Because we've assumed that where we are right now isn't the place we're supposed to be. It's somewhere else. And that's why we're looking somewhere else. And in looking somewhere else, we miss what's here. We miss what's here. Of course, exactly what that is for each of us varies. It's different. What touches our hearts? At least perhaps on the in terms of the surface expressions or manifestations can seem different. And I'm reminded as I speak about this of a small cartoon that someone once cut out and put up on the wall at Guy House, um, the retreat centre in England where I live near and uh, teach quite a bit at. And uh, it, it's, it's a picture of a mountain and, and on the mountain there's a cow sitting cross-legged with a, a turban and another cow climbing up the mountain just sort of at, his, at the feet of obviously this very wise cow. And the, 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 the bubble says, and as you go through life, don't worry, don't hurry, and don't forget to eat the flowers. And why that stuck with me and why I, I like to share it with it, it's like we can easily have the idea that there's a particular way it's supposed to look. We're supposed to be sniffing them, not eating them. But each of us are different, and for some it involves eating the flowers. But in order to know what actually will allow you to receive the nourishment of this moment, you have to really be here for it. If we were to say to you, you know, go out there and sniff flowers, you probably wouldn't get a lot out of it. Is this what it's supposed to smell like? Is this the right flower? That one didn't smell very nice. They look like they've got better flower than me. All that would say, and it would be just the same as everything else. But if we're not looking for a a pretty or sweet-smelling flower, if we're just interested in what it is to be here. First of all, we can't help but notice that this experience we call being alive doesn't turn up the way we want it to be. It doesn't come according to our preferences, according to our expectations, according to our plans. And really get clear about that. You know, we kind of have a vague inkling that that's the way it is, but we live often in the hope that maybe that was just because we hadn't quite done it right up till now. And once we get it figured out, then we'll get all our ducks lined up and everything will be just peachy. That's an American expression, isn't it? Yeah. Just checking. Sometimes I get a little confused between New Zealand, where I come from, England, where I live, and the various countries I go to, and I do try and translate the uh, expressions. But uh, It's not peachy, is it? Sometimes it's grapefruit. (laughs) Can we bring a certain humor or lightness to that? It's like that's not such a tragedy, actually. It might seem unfortunate or frustrating on occasion, but, you know, if everything was really comfortable all the time, We'd just all fall asleep. We really would. In fact, if everything gets comfortable for a little while, you might notice what happens. We do fall asleep, literally sometimes. If you have a problem with falling asleep, Rodney mentioned in the question and answer the possibility of standing up. It's great. You can do that. I really recommend it. You can also, something else which is a sort of a halfway place between standing up and that is put your arms up in the air and keep them there for a little while. Now if you Actually, try it. Just try this. Put your arms up in the air and keep them there for a little while. Now that you've all done it, no one has to feel silly if you want to do it later. We've all done it. This is meditation just as much as any other posture. But if you keep your arms up here, you'll notice it requires an effort. After a little while, it becomes uncomfortable. If you keep your arms in the air, I guarantee you, you will not fall asleep. There's almost no guarantee I will ever give anyone in the context of meditation. You can put them down if you like or leave them up a little. But if you do it long enough to make an effort, 
It requires an effort from your body. It's like the mind can't brighten itself. But by making an effort with your body, being willing to go a little bit beyond what's comfortable. It's not harmful. It's not dangerous. But it's maybe a little uncomfortable after a few moments or minutes. It actually not just keeps you awake while you're doing it, but it brightens the mind. And then when the arms come back down, the mind is re-engaged, re-energized. So part of what a retreat is about is going beyond our comfort zone. Stepping outside of the territory that's familiar and predictable and safe. Because the very effect of doing that is that it naturally brings from us the, the sense of aliveness or awakeness or engagement. It's only when we allow ourselves to imagine and it's actually a false imagination, but when you allow ourselves to imagine that what we're in the midst of is somehow old, familiar, known, predictable, and safe, that we fall asleep. So how interested are you in being awake? And can you be more interested in this than what it is that's happening that you notice in your experience? Using the experience as the ground and the place towards which we can orient. Using the breath, using the body, using the step as you walk using, in fact, each moment and circumstance of the day as an opportunity to attune, to connect, to arrive in your life as it is, which is only that moment and which will never be repeated again in that form. What we're being asked to do is not somehow make ourselves be conscious or aware or mindful or present. That is a recipe for struggle. We can't do that as an act of will because we see this momentum of distractedness, this momentum of pursuit or avoidance. But what we learn to do is practice non-distractedness, which means to abandon or to let go of that which pulls, pulls us out, pulls us away, sucks us in. See how it happens. Watch how it happens. Be patient and gentle with ourselves and the fact that it does happen. And it's not just painful that it happens, but it's painful to see that at some level we appear to consent to it. We seem at times to go along with it, to say, yeah, that looks like a great fantasy. To heck with being present and mindful and meditating. I'm going, because that looks good, because this is kind of boring. You know, we're so compelled to seek entertainment. And there isn't much of it here, intentionally, so that we see that compulsion. You know, you see people, I've done it myself, you know, reading the labels on the tea bag. There's nothing of interest on the label, but it's something to engage with. Or the notice board, the schedule. You know, how many times have we looked at the schedule today? <laughs> it's the same schedule. And someone's going to ring the bell to tell us when the next thing is anyway. But it's like, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Wow, and then more. It's really interesting how that happens. And how somehow this attraction towards falling asleep in our experience is so strong. Seeing that is a hard place, an important place. To be aware of our tendency to fall asleep is actually a great step forward. 
to even f- go along with it sometimes and know we're doing it is actually, and this seems surprising, counterintuitive almost, a step forward. Because as we see what we're doing, we start to understand why and we start to see or to be able to really sense for ourselves, does this serve? Is this really the choice I want to make? In terms of knowing beforehand when we make a choice, there is no guarantee. We can only go there and see. But as we start to see more and more, there's something I think that becomes very clear. And I'm sure that for many of you, it's something that you're seeing. Seeing the fact that our experience, our mind, our body, isn't in our control. It's something we can influence, it seems, but not make it be according to our wishes or desires or demands. And that wasn't the thing I was going to say, but it just went straight out of my mind. Yeah, the danger of discursion, the diversion. And it's not coming back. So I think I'd better let it go. In terms of what's important, knowing what's important, we can't know that in advance. But when we go in, we enter into the situation, we sense, oh, actually, it's okay like this. It's fine. And Okay, that's what it is. That's, it's come back. It's really interesting when your mind isn't the mind you're familiar with. It's really interesting. Conditions change. There's something going on in my system and my mind isn't quite the one I remember. At least it doesn't remember the things that I think it should. Or it forgets the things it was halfway through saying. And it's like, come on, <laughs> don't leave me here. Um, you ever have that experience? You know? It's like it's unreliable. Embarrassing. And I've done it again, you know. I remember that thing and I started talking about something else and it's gone. <laughs> oh. So I need to go back to where I was. Um, yeah, okay. So the, the thing we learn, it seems like it's hard work to be present. Have you noticed that? It seems like it really requires an effort. That it's almost, not almost, that it seems easier to just not make that effort and be unconscious, to let the habits and the reactions and the kind of becoming lost in our own mental proliferations, to allow that to go on, to not resist the pull of that momentum. It seems like on a moment-to-moment basis, it's always more effort to stay or to reconnect, or to see what's going on there. And yet, if you look at your life, what I think becomes more and more clear is that although on a moment-to-moment level it seems like it's more effort, at least initially, to be present than to not, to just go with the habit, ultimately in one's life it is so much more difficult to live unconsciously. It is so much more painful. So much more frustrating to live one's life walking around effectively with one's eyes closed. Not because our eyes are closed, but because they're clouded. Because we're looking where we're not. Like if you were to go walking and to be looking where you're not, what's going to happen? If you walk around walking this way, looking that way, it's not going to be long before you walk into something or over something. And actually on a retreat I was teaching once in India, one of the yogis once walked into the pond. And I presume the person wasn't looking where they were going. They were okay. It was a bit cold and wet and rather smelly. But it's kind of like, don't we do that all the time in our lives? And we wonder, how did I end up here? So we're asked to make the intention And the effort, it does require an effort, a gentle but firm effort to establish a connection, to re-establish that connection with our life, with life, this moment, what's here, 
And as many times as we lose that connection, we can reestablish it. We can come back. And rather than somehow feeling upset or frustrated for every time our mind wanders off, we could actually be grateful or appreciative for the fact that we've noticed. Until we notice, it's not a problem. Because we haven't noticed. We don't even know what's going on. It's only when we notice we make it into a problem. And yet at that point, it's no longer a problem. It's done. But because our habit is to make a problem of what's already finished, we do that. So one could actually take some joy or just simple appreciation for, sure, (coughs) spaced out, but wow, came back. And you know what's remarkable is that when that moment where we realize where we are, that we've been lost in thinking, you know, did you do that? Did you make that happen? You weren't there. I wasn't there when it last happened. Because by definition, what's going on is that I'm not really here. And somehow, I'm here. It's like the light gets switched on, but I didn't switch it on. What happened? What is that? That just somehow awoke by itself. Right here. Because it doesn't do it anywhere else. It's not something remarkable that happened in a far-off land, some ancient mystical time. It's something that happened here. It keeps happening. When we establish the intention, that doesn't mean our mind doesn't wander off, wander off. But somehow that intention has a potency to it that expresses itself as this reawakening. Time and time again. It's good news that you space off lots of space out lots of times because if you only spaced out once on the whole retreat, you know what that would mean? It'd be the whole retreat. And in that sense of here I am. Well here here it is. Here's, this is life. To see that in that, that's not something we've manufactured or created or produced by our meditative effort. What our intention is towards is letting go of the distraction, the habit and the compulsion that takes us away. And as we learn to let that go and realize that we can relinquish that. Though on the way we need to understand why it's not easy to relinquish that. We'll talk more about this. But as we let that go, it's just... And it's natural. It's innate. And there's something in the simple presence of life that's profoundly nourishing and sweet and beautiful. And yet which we we miss because we're busy trying to get somewhere else, to be someone else, to do something else, to experience something else. And that's not required. So to see, to understand this very well and clearly, to see that in the end the experience, the thing that's happening, whatever it is, whether it be mindful breath and simple bare attention to experience, adding nothing to it, or whether it's distractedness and lost in thinking or reactivity and all of that, seeing it, recognizing whatever it is that's happening brings us into the realm of the real and the immediate. And quite unbound by the particular thing that is happening or undefined by it, not limited by it. When we see truly and clearly into just this, just here, just now, when we see this, the natural peace and openness of life is, is evident and we allow ourselves to receive it. And so the invitation of this retreat, this practice, these teachings is really to allow yourself to receive your life. That's what life's here for. That's what we're here for. 
Just sit quietly for a moment or two, please. May we all, through our practice and in our lives, come to understand the the momentum of mind and to abide in the simplicity of presence right here and now and in each moment awaken to the peaceful dimension of life. for our own welfare and for the well-being of all that lives. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.